Hey, this is uh, Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director for 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to have Mike Schember on the show today, CEO of American Group. We go over his founding story, how he met Daniel Kravikis, and how they started American Group back in 2006. Thanks. Hope you enjoy. Uh, my name is Mike Schember. I'm the CEO of American Group. Um, we're a logistics provider located in Chandler, Arizona. Very cool. How did you get into the whole logistics business? Well, I started as a dock worker at Overnight Transportation when I was 19 years old. Um, kind of worked my way up through the industry and, and I was director of freight claims for USF Bestway for a few years. How did you meet Dan? Uh, Dan and I used to work together at a, a company called Westex. So I left overnight. Um, everybody was leaving overnight to go to a new YRC startup company called Westex. Mm. Um, so I was one of them that went over there, and that's when I met Dan. Uh, Dan had moved out here from Indiana to, to take a job with Westex. He was with Yellow Freight at the time. Uh, Westex uh, eventually turned into SIA. Um, and then they closed down the corporate office, and that's when I left to go to USF. Um, Dan was uh, terminal manager in Phoenix for a long time and got a new uh, regional manager who wanted to bring in some of his own people. It's pretty typical in this industry. And uh, Dan came over as a sales rep uh, at Bestway, so we reconnected and put our heads together after about a year or two of him working there and decided to, to become self-employed. How long did you know Dan, I guess, before you guys started um, coming up with the idea to start American Group? About 10 years. Um, I wouldn't say that we really kept in contact a lot. It wasn't until we reconnected at uh, when I went, when I left USF to go to SIA and then I came back to USF and I had heard, um, yeah, he was he was laid off at SIA, and that's when I um, put him in touch with people at USF to get him on board over there. So how did you guys end up deciding to start a freight brokerage? I noticed that you had some, obviously both of you guys had a lot of industry experience and claims experience, which I didn't realize you had as well, Mike. But um, how did you guys decide to start the actual brokerage? What made you guys think about that? Well, I'll, you know, not in an attempt to not throw anybody under the bus, um, <laughs> I'll just say that I felt like uh, we could take better care of our customers than some of the carriers that we were working for at the time. Um, I remember, you know, telling my boss on my last day, I said, I don't understand. You know, I could spend $500 on a customer entertainment, but I can't get a $40 invoice dispute wave. Mm. Um, and I and I felt, you know, at the time, I mean, when a lot of companies were synergizing and, and eliminating positions and moving things to different part of the country, it became difficult to represent that company on the street with the customer because they would have issues and I had no idea how to correct them or who to go to, 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 to help me get them corrected. And I think, I think sometimes some carriers, um, you know, they're a little bit more political and they forget who they work for. Um, and that's why you know, I decided to take the leap and, and do it on my own. I mean, I, I certainly value our carrier partners and, but I just feel like I'm in a better position to help my clients now than when I was working for a carrier, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. That is interesting to be able to have that budget for entertainment, but to, I guess, not do the right thing at times. I, I get that. I've seen that in a lot of businesses. I think it's probably pretty common throughout kind of multiple industries. How much, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how much money did you guys have when you guys were starting up or um, 
Like, was it a, a lot or did you guys have a fair amount of savings? No, I had about three months worth of savings and I figured if I didn't make it work, I would go look for a job. Um, you know, but I had some, some good friends and, and clients that were, that trusted me and, and Dan and, you know, once you, once you really kind of get started, it, it's really referrals from there. I mean, I, I was heavy into one industry. Uh, my, a friend of mine at the time uh, was a manufacturer of a specific product, and he just turned me on to people that his different vendors that he used as suppliers, and it really just started growing. I mean, it, it's been a great experience. Um, I've surrounded myself with good people. Um and it really, you know, I never really missed the paycheck, if you will, because, uh, you know, the, the key to anything is do what you say you're going to do, you know, and I, and I think most people lose focus of that, you know, and have confidence in your ability, but don't be cocky. No, it seems like you guys are really big on relationships, which I, which I could appreciate. And I think that it seems like business is kind of all about relationships. What was like some of the first things that you guys did when you guys got started? Was it you guys built the website first or did you guys... Um, kind of just have a lot of meetings beforehand or walk me through that process. Yeah, we did. We built the website first, um, but then ultimately we, um, you know, we, one guy was on the street and the other guy was in, in my kitchen really supporting the guy on the street. So we would switch on and off on who would go make calls that day. Um, based upon the relationships that we had built over the years. Um, you know, in the very beginning we were using, you know, Microsoft Word to create the bill of ladings and, you know, go on to five or six different carriers' websites to figure out what pricing. And we were primarily LTL because that's what we knew. Um, so that's what we knew how to sell. Um, and then ultimately, we started looking for, uh, you know, CMS that would help us. And that's when, when you and I connected. So um, we got that up and running and, you know, the rest is history, if you will. Yeah, totally. Um, what did you already have relationships with carriers, or was it hard to get them when you went out and got them for the first time? Um, you know, it, it was easier back then than it, you know than than it is even today. Um, you know, I as I said, I grew up in this business, so I knew a lot of people inside the carriers, and I had those relationships too. And you know, a lot of the carriers they want to help you succeed, and and they need the business and the revenue too. And you know, I leveraged the relationships I had with those people, and and some of those people that left the company I worked for went to other carriers, and you know, it was natural to get pricing with those people based upon the relationship or those carriers. Um, so it's been, uh, you know, again, it's been, I, I, I can't say enough how much I love this business and, and how appreciative I am of, of where it's taken me. And it's, it's really been, been great. I mean, now we have, here we are 14 years later, we have uh, 32 employees and wow. about 60 agents. Yeah, we're, we're not trying to be the biggest. Um, we just want to you know, have our niche and, and continue to grow um, and grow based upon relationships. We don't actively um, recruit agents. It's mostly referrals. Um, and of those agents that we have brought on, we just really try to help to nurture and grow them. I mean, I don't, you know, I know some other competitors out there will have, you know, five, 600 agents and, and maybe, you know, maybe a quarter of them actually bring bring the revenue you need to survive. The rest of all just kind of trickles in. We right. really try to to help our agents grow their book of business rather than try to recruit new agents. Makes sense. So you guys kind of work with them 
it sounds like in order to be successful, do they work for other people as well? Or is it just you only for the most part? Uh, no, only us for the most part. Um, it's been, uh, no, I, obviously if they, if they have a book of business, which is not something that's our forte, we, you know, invite them to, to search for a solution elsewhere. I mean, ultimately they want to take care of their customers, but you know, another thing we do too is we, you know, we sell to our strengths. We don't try to go out there and be everything to everybody. Um, because I think that's a waste of time, quite frankly, and and then you don't really know what you're capable of, and and you don't focus on on growing what you're good at when you're trying to take on things you know that you can't do. Sure, that makes total sense. And that first year, was it all LTL as well, or was it was it truckload? No, it was mostly all LTL. Um, now you know, now it's kind of flipped a little bit as the years have gone by. Um, from a bill count standpoint, we're still heavy LTL, but from a revenue standpoint, the truckload is, is really growing rather quickly, especially in the pandemic environment. So- it's been affected by the pandemic. Have you guys seen kind of spikes in other areas, like, um, I guess, like consumer goods and whatnot? have gotten a little bit busier and yeah. the other stuff's dropped well, off? No, you know, actually, we just looked... Uh, on Friday, our, our revenue is up almost 100% over this time last year, and and we have a diverse book of business. There's not there's not one account that's more than four percent of our book of business, um, and that's intentional. Um, I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket, if you will. So, uh, we have a lot of of alcohol shippers, um, which are just booming right now. Um, we have a lot of chemical companies, um, and we have. A lot of entrepreneurs that uh, converted to, to PPE and hand sanitizer business um, almost immediately when the pandemic started. I mean, it's like they flipped the switch and immediately changed their uh, their infrastructure to handle the stuff that, that the consumers needed. And we've been real fortunate with that. And it was alcohol as an alcohol to clean a cut or alcohol to, to drink? To drink. There's a lot of drinkers out there. <laughs> probably as <laughs> I think more so. <laughs> more so in the pandemic, right? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing about alcohol is you, you drink, it, it's kind of recession proof, right? I mean, you drink when you're happy and you drink when you're sad. <laughs> so it's, it never really sees a dip in anything. Do you remember like any of the struggles like the first year as far as like times, I guess, that you guys were a little bit nervous or just, um, I, I, I'm sure it was exciting, nerve wracking, kind of all the above. When you guys were starting out, do you remember any of those initial thoughts, like how it was going? You know, our biggest fear was, uh, was collections. I mean, you know, in this business, there are some people, I mean, you, you run into some shippers and some people that are, that are shady and, you know, you, you want to give them an opportunity to help them grow your business, and then they file bankruptcy and you're stuck with the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ultimately, we still have to pay the carriers. I mean, they're our lifeline. Um, and so we take that risk. Uh, you know, as we've, as we've gotten, old, gotten bigger and, and older and wiser, um, we're backed by insurance now. So, it, you know, it helps me sleep a lot better at night. Um, but even with this pandemic, you know, credit can change in a in, overnight. I mean, you might have somebody that's an A plus credit rating and then file bankruptcy the next day. So you really have to keep on your collections and, and make sure that you're collecting the money that you're owed. Because the you know when anybody sends me a contract that wants 90 day terms, I just no way. <laughs> you know, I don't even get an interest free 90 day loan. So yeah, that's crazy. You know, those are things I can put my company at risk for somebody else's problems, if you will, and. 
you know, I mean, we're, we see that um, we're starting to see that more as, as this pandemic plays out. So we're keeping a close eye on collection for sure. Cash flow is king. Yeah, cash is king for sure, especially in this industry because it's you're you're basically kind of prepaying for the freight, right? And then um, collecting the money afterwards. So there's a little bit of a, a gap. Um, so yeah, I could imagine that that's probably hard to make sure that all your cash is coming in correctly and whatnot. What kind of insurance is that? I've never heard of that that you were talking about. Uh, there's a, a few different companies that do it. Um, one is called Euler Hermes, and the other uh, the other one's called Cofain. So I think they're kind of number one and two, uh, respectively, in this in this industry. Um, but you would have to reach out to them to set up an account. But certainly, it's you know there's a deductible and there's a fee, and and you have to go to underwriting and in each account. Um, you know, depending on the level that you're seeking, um, has to go to underwriting and there's additional fees for that. And, you know, the interesting thing about that though, is they, they monitor your, your customer's credit. So if there's something that that's a red flag for them, they come down, they'll come back to us and either lower their risk or just say, we can't assure it anymore. And then that's a, you know, then it becomes a business decision for us. How, how about your reps? How do they go out and they just go out and knock on doors to get business or I know that you guys probably have a lot of customers that you've kept for over the years and whatnot, but for new business. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Most of them do. I mean, everybody's got their own style. I mean, I have, I have some people that never leave their homes and I have some people that never want to be home. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the thing with the agent model and, and you've certainly seen this in the industry is you get some agents that do plateau because they're, you know, they have a comfortable lifestyle and they're, they're used to some of their, their free time that perhaps they didn't have when they worked for, you know, a big corporation. Um, so you really got to kind of keep them motivated, but you know, there's, there's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting now because there's, there's so many different strategies out there on selling. Um, and we are actually pushing that with a, a website update as we're going to do uh, some TED Talks, if you will, with our different agents on, you know, sharing some of their uh, ideas of selling and techniques and, and hopefully that other agents can either use or plagiarize from. And you know, I got some guys that will share, you know, costs with the customer and, and ask for a tip. And I got other people that do a markup uh, depending on, you know, lane. I mean, everybody's got their own style. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, the worst thing in it for any agent is to, to have all your eggs in one basket. And, and that does happen. I mean, they're, they're humming along for five or six years and then their biggest account gets bought out and everything moves overseas and you know, they're starting from scratch again. I'm, you know, when I was a sales rep for a carrier, they always talked about having things in your funnel. And there's a lot of truth behind that because you never know when your big account might, might either shut down or get bought out or. Or, or switch. Yeah, I've heard stories of, of that, exactly what you're saying, that like 90% of someone's business was in like one big account and then they lost it for whatever reason and that's just an awful feeling. I think that people probably get complacent maybe when they have that, that revenue coming in and they don't think that they're going to lose it, but I'm with you. I'm kind of a little bit, I guess, paranoid and I'd probably want to diversify a little bit and have as many as I possibly could. Well, yeah, I mean, my... You know, my whole strategy, especially when I was heavy in sales, is I would rather have, you know, five ten thousand dollar a month accounts than one fifty thousand. I mean, they're they're a lot easier to replace, and it doesn't, you know, you're not losing it all at once if something happens. 
Yeah. How do you learn about like a, when you were doing sales, did you just read books or how did you learn what you knew as far as like getting started? Did you just kind of go out and bang on doors initially or? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, there was a one good training session that we had at a carrier and there's a book out called getting in your customer's head. And that kind of really propelled me into understanding the sales process and how people think. Um, but you know, once, once you prove yourself to somebody, then they're going to depend on you. And, you know, the, the, the good thing with the technology and the piece with Hyperion is we can really get in, ingrained with the customers, um, their own inventory management system and, and create APIs and shopping carts and things like that. That'll, that'll help us uh, get stronger ties with that shipper or that customer. So, you know, if something does happen, um, you know, it's, it's a little harder to break away from you, if you will. Um, the, the one thing I like most about being a third party logistics provider is that we, we represent a variety of different carriers. When, it, when I worked for a carrier and, and my carrier either missed a pickup or, you know, couldn't handle the business or damage their freight, you know, I don't necessarily lose the business on this side of the desk as I did when I worked for a carrier because we could just put, you know, one carrier in the penalty box for a little bit and, and replace it with somebody else. So that makes it a whole lot easier to sell. Um you know, but we do focus on our strengths, but we do have a, a large portfolio of offerings. So, you know, I'm not, what we try to do is, is share with our agents um, of what percentage of our business is moving at what lanes and, and what our confidence level is with the, the LTL carriers that we have, as well as the truckload carriers, and being able to make sure the pickup is made and the freight is delivered on time. So we, we measure those metrics to give to the agent. So they're going in and asking for specific uh, lanes or specific types of business to make it an easier sell. Because if you're if you're getting you know if you're getting the opportunity for what you're good at, then then you're going to be able to uh, penetrate that account and get different opportunities. So you know a lot of customers they'll give you the hardest lane that nobody else can cover, <laughs> and you're just setting yourself up to fail. So, so we kind of ask for specific lanes rather than, hey, let me quote your stuff, and they send an email out with 300 different people on copy. With your claims history, do you look out for certain things as well? For like, do you do you not take certain things like a machine? I do try to provide some guidance with freight claims. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're we're essentially the middleman as a third party logistics provider. So the customer looks at us like, you know, we have to pay the claim and. And of course, we have protections in place for that, but there are there are times where we have to pay the claim. I mean, if the carrier doesn't pay it, um, it you know, it becomes a business decision then. But but most certainly, I mean, we're not going after the stuff that we don't want to pick up a claim. Um, but I do think the carriers have done a hell of a job adapting to the freight that's available. Uh, when I first started in this business, you know, everything was manufactured in the United States, and it moved from East Coast to West Coast. After the Chinese free trade agreement, it completely flipped everything over. So we weren't, you know, picking up raw materials like we were back when I started, you know, good, heavy, dense freight. Now we're picking up stuff on the West Coast, which is electronics and, you know, high value, high claim stuff. So um, the carriers have done a, a, a much better job of, of adapting to that type of freight versus the freight that they've handled previously. Makes sense. How do you so, cover yourself as far as making you just make sure that you have the right liability with the carrier, I guess, before taking the actual load? 
Correct. And we do offer additional uh, liability coverage through some insurance companies. Um, and then we can go to them too and insure an entire account rather than at a per shipment basis. Oh, that's cool. Um, but, but typically, yeah, typically with that, they want to, they want to insure the whole book of business and not just cherry pick because, you know, we don't want a customer to say, Hey, you, you move this and it's damaged and it wasn't one that it was covered under the policy. So they would just, they would insure the, everything that they ship, whether they shipped it with me or, or somebody else. And then what about, um, I guess your customers or most of them doing quotes online or do a lot of them still like talking to you guys, or is it like a, a mixed bag? It's definitely a mixed bag. I mean, you have some agents that want to do everything for their customers and you have some that don't want to do anything, you know, as far as booking and, and choosing the carrier and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd say it's a pretty strong 50, 50 on who's paying in it. Yeah, that makes sense. Or what are, what are some of the carriers, the LTL guys that you guys work with at the moment? Um, I mean, really all of them, I, you know, I think, you know, top down, probably UPS is our number one and, and Sia and SDs and, and right away. Um, those are really our strong carriers, but you know, they have, every carrier has different strengths and weaknesses or, or should I say needs and wants. <laughs> um, so there's some carriers that are much better in lanes because they, you know, they need the business in that market. They all run their line hall a little bit differently. So, um, you know, the, the thing that I'm real intrigued about that's coming is that dynamic or live line pricing that some carriers are calling it, where they'll give you specific pricing based upon their needs of that day. Um, so, you know, we have to make sure that we're educating our customers that, you know, with specific carriers, if they quote it that day, it's got to be shipped that day because the pricing will change overnight. Um, and, it, you know, I hope that that gets... Um, stronger as you know as time moves on and and i can envision you know carriers getting sophisticated enough to understand what their needs are out of you know, almost like a priceline.com but for freight so mm -hmm. if they got four extra pallet spaces in la that day they can just throw that at a discount to fill the capacity and, and so hopefully that will help with with empty miles because you know, they can just discount it in a way on a fly to get get at least a little bit of freight on that truck, no matter where it's going. Yeah, I think Cargomatic was trying to do that a while back ago, but I don't think that they ended up succeeding doing it. Now it seems like Convoy is, is the new big player in the space that's trying to do something similar to that. What, what do you know about them? I don't. I know I know more about a, a company called My Carrier TMS, and and they're white labeling a TMS for carriers to to allow them to do just that. Um, I think they're relatively new, but it, it seems like they're they're gaining some ground. Um, I just you know I think I think the problem is is some carriers don't have the technology to be able to offer it in reverse. So. Um, you know, once that changes, uh, you know, from, at least from my experience, a lot of the carriers are on the LTL 400 platform, which is, you know, TMS, if you will, that, that's from the 1980s. And, you know, imagine being a, a carrier with, you know, hundreds of terminals and trying to update your software and everybody that touches it has to learn how to use it. I think it's such a big undertaking um, that cost and time and downtime almost prohibit it from becoming a reality. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like the banking industry. You see a lot of those like AS400 blue screens and, and banking. And I'm sure it's kind of like that with a lot of the LTL guys because they're just so big. Yeah, that, I mean, they literally, I mean, 
I would think that they would have to bring their whole system down for a week to get everybody trained. And, you know, most of them just don't have the ability to do stuff like that. Do you think that will happen, though, I guess, in the next 10, 15 years, that you'll see more of that, I guess, ability to get actual live pricing like that? It sounds like it's kind of happening now, but, like, I mean, full-fledged, like, to the point where it's just, like, an, a normal thing. Do you see that happening? Um, I... You know, it's really hard to tell. I mean, you know, just a few years ago, we were hearing about blockchain, 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 but all that's kind of faded away now in this business. So, you know, there's still some some whispers of it, but it wasn't hardcore like it was just two years ago. Um, you know, and then with COVID, so many people are losing money that I, I just don't know um, how that'll play out. But I but I do think if anybody's really going to figure it out, it, it'll probably be somebody outside of the industry that will be able to sell that technology to the carrier so it's easier to implement rather than, you know, somebody taking it on at a carrier and trying to, to spearhead it for the whole industry. You know, it'll be a software provider that figures out that, that piece and, and is able to you know, install it into the carriers rather than the carrier try to build it from scratch. Yeah, what's your thoughts on, I mean, I would consider you guys American Group a digital freight brokerage, but what it, what is your view of a digital freight brokerage? Because I've seen that that term kind of thrown a lot or out, thrown around a lot on LinkedIn. You know, I mean, honestly, I think it's smoke and mirrors, and, and that's just my opinion. Um, if, if you really peel back the layers of those digital guys, it's, it's mostly humans behind the scenes making the phone calls and, and updating the information into um, a database that matches the load that's being updated in the system, you know, with the, with the team with people. Um, you know, I like to think down the road that that might be a real possibility, but until you know, until there's carriers out there that, that allow others to ping into their ELDs and, and kind of get their proprietary information, um, I don't see it happening anytime soon. You know, I, I do think, especially on the LTL carriers, you have, you know, older management groups that, that are, you know, believe in privacy, um, you know, and, and, and want to take less risk because of the uncertainty behind it. Um, so maybe as, you know, as new generations come up in this business or new startups start, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of industry conference and a lot of industry news on the different types and pieces of technology that are out there. Um, I think a lot of people are all working on the same thing, um, but I don't think anybody's really figured it out 100%. I mean, I think there's, you know, as far as PMSs and software providers, there's some that are really good at, at, at some things, but they're not great at others. Um, and I don't think that there's a one source solution that, you know, we'll just do everything that you can Im imagine behind it. I do think it's coming, but I, I would guess, you know, five to 10 years away. Yeah. That'd be yeah, interesting. I just think the yeah. I think the COVID thing really just kind of, you know, drowned a lot of people out. And I, you know, I think in, especially at 18 and 19, you were seeing a lot of money come into the industry um, but again, they were all working on a similar solution, and I think that technology will get a lot more affordable as as those people that put all those that money into it are looking for a return on investment. Because it, there is a lot of technology out there that you can create the perfect route for the driver and tell him where to have lunch at and how many you know pallets he, he should have delivered by noon and, and set the optimal route for a carrier. Um, but it's not one solution that does that. But with API, I certainly think it's possible to get a lot of those, those, 
programs to communicate with one another. How did you guys have software right away or did you guys wait a while before you invested in a TMS? Um, we, we waited about six months. I mean, we wanted to make sure that this was something that was going to work. Um, you know, and some of the providers at the time wanted you to sign a commitment with a personal guarantee. I think, you know, that was our biggest fear is I didn't want somebody to come take my house if, you know, if it didn't work out. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, yeah, that's, that's the scariest piece. So we waited until we could, you know, really establish that we were going to make it before we went in and, and invested any money in, in any technology piece. But, you know, the technology piece really helps you grow rather quickly, um, you know, because we were answering the phone 30, 40 times a day and trying to handwrite what needed to be done and then hurry up and create the bill of ladings manually. So you're not going to, I mean, that's just not scalable. Maybe to get started if you have one or two accounts, but you really need the technology to help you take off. And for truckload and demand for LTL, did LTL change much over the last year? It was pretty much the same. And then I heard truckload has been really expensive. Is that the case? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we just we just quoted somebody $12,000 from L.A. To, to New York. Um, you know, and the carriers are trying to, to make as much money as they can. And, and quite frankly, they're they're putting their, themselves at risk. I mean, going through all this stuff um, and going through through states and cities that are in full lockdown. So, you know, it's not as easy as just picking up and cruising down the road anymore. Is the truckload market though? Is that just because there's so much demand for it, or and the LTL guys just have so much equipment already, or what, why is the truckload, I guess, market so expensive? It's just because of the risk. Uh, no, I think it's there's a lot of drivers on the road too. I mean, you know, I can talk about this for for hours on end, but you know, as as, as the industry had indicated, uh, the, the the average age of a driver now, I think, is almost sixty. So there's there's just not a lot of people coming into this business. I mean, specifically millennials don't want to go live in an eighteen wheeler for three weeks out of the month and drive around the country. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a glorious job, but it's 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 such a necessity and and one that I think society takes advantage of. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize what it takes to, to get that coffee in your maker or that food on your table and the people that make that happen. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed the show. Mike is an awesome guy. If you want to find Mike Schember, you can find him on LinkedIn or on their website at shipag.com. <laughs>